0: The following programme contains discussion of content some listeners may find distressing. Listener discretion is advised. The following podcast contains uncensored coarse language. Listeners are advised that some of the following content may not be appropriate for those under 15 years of age. Hello everybody and welcome! Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast of films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, as we hurtle towards the end of 2021, we only have a couple more uh, Wednesdays in December to watch films. So we're going back to a film that is turning 50 years old this month. It is Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange. Uh, so joining me as always, we have someone who has seen the film before and someone who has not. Our guest who has not seen the film, it's Dr. Ellen Sears. Hi,
1: Stephen. How
0: are you doing, Dr. Ellen?
1: Very hot. It's very hot today and I'm not happy about it, but mm-hmm. that's, apart from that, fine.
0: Excellent. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, summer Summer is here now in Perth and it's 30 plus degree days for the next four months. Yeah. Um, so at least we're inside in air conditioning watching a film.
1: Yes, I'm happy about that.
0: Uh, Clockwork Orange. Yeah. What do you know about it?
1: Uh I know that it's uh one of those very big important films that everybody's like but you can you must see this film it's like super important. And I'm pretty sure this film is a large part of the reason why electroconvulsive therapy is given a bad rap which is funny because I did a I did a, a role play job recently where I was a junior doctor who was asking about but ECT is really bad, right? I've seen a clockwork orange. So that's 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 mostly my my understanding of this film.
0: Okay. And with with, with- <laughs> Kubrick in general, yep. um, are you are you a fan of his films? Have you seen I
1: don't any? know, I don't know, what other, have I seen any of his other films? What else has he done? Mario's no. <laughs> <Murray's laughs> just looking at me horrified. <laughs> uh,
0: some little films called The Shining. Nope. 2001 A Space Odyssey. Nope. Clouds of Glory. Nope. Uh, Eyes Wide Shut.
1: Nope. <laughs> Technically AI.
0: Full Metal Jacket. No,
1: <laughs> I haven't it? seen, I, maybe I haven't seen any of his films ever.
2: Lolita? I know you d- Barry Lyndon. to Strange love?
1: I haven't no I'm not Dr Strange love not Lolita, no. What else did you say Stephen? Barry Lyndon? No. <laughs> we
0: well, could go back to the killing but nah. <laughs> Okay, so you're not... Overly... I haven't
1: seen any Kubrick films. <laughs> okay.
0: Sorry. <laughs> well, this is going to be your, your initiation. and uh... I
1: mean, from what I understand, if I'm going Did to watch a 2001? Kubrick film... Yeah, he said 2001. I, I wasn't on... The... He didn't put me on that episode for the podcast, so...
0: Admittedly, it was the second ever episode. Like, I was... I
1: was on the first one, yeah. so, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm so... so, so um... Yeah, this is going to be your your introduction to This is going to be to my
1: introduction to Kubrick. Well, from... <laughs> thanks Murray. I from from what I understand, this is probably a good one to start with for my first one for Kubrick. Is that correct? Or is that
0: <laughs> Well, the person that can tell us, it is Murray Jackson. Uh Murray, is this a good one to start with if you've never seen Kubrick?
2: Of course. It's it's it's, it's in a classic. my in my humble opinion. Um it, it it's my it's his best and my favorite film. Um, oh, perfect! So it's the which, perfect one
1: for me to start with. Well,
2: then. yeah. I mean, a lot of people say two thousand one, or yeah, maybe even Doctor Strangelove. Um, but uh, yeah, in terms of um, an intro, uh, <laughs> look, it's there are bits there that are going to be very in your face. Okay, um, this film when it was released was highly controversial. Mm. Um, in my uh, country of origin New Zealand this actually attracted an R20 certificate Whew. which basically meant they didn't want you to go and see it but they really couldn't see a reason why they couldn't release it so right. it came as close as you could be to being banned in New Zealand wow. um, which really that's one of the reasons I was so entranced with the idea of watching this film as a kid. Mm. And my introduction to this was not the film. My introduction was the soundtrack album, which one of my sisters had, and I played to death and was just, you know, looked at these images on the cover and went, I really want to see this film. Mm. Don't understand why, but apparently it's horribly violent and it's got this cool music and I must see it. Mm. And when did you first see it? Uh, Yeah, I'm trying to think when that was. I have memories, and memory does cheat as you get older, that I got a bootleg copy of this on VHS from the UK uh, when I was about 17, 18 years old, because I also have memories that I might have suggested to my teacher at school when we were studying the book in my final year that maybe you know I could bring along the, the VHS <laughs> and we all watch it together. Um,
1: and I bet they were like, mm.
2: "I, I had, once again had memories. We actually did that. Oh my um, gosh!" <laughs> but yeah, it it was definitely via bootleg VHS. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, I suppose, in a vague, non spoilery sort of way, mm. what can people who've not seen Clockwork Orange expect from this film? Uh,
2: I'm thinking about the person who's going to be watching it for the first time. <laughs> You should expect that there is going to be some violence in there and some violence perpetuated against women. Yes. Um, And that's going to be confronting. It's still confronting after 50 years. Mm. Uh, You're going to be hit with some ideas in terms of um, the the, the, um, right to Mm -hmm. self-determination. So there's some heavy themes in there. You're going to see an outstanding performance by Malcolm McDowell, um, and you're going to see some beautiful Kubrick photography because no one photographs films uh, better than Kubrick. Mm. Uh, So, yeah, you'll see all those things, I hope. Mm. Uh, You'll also have a laugh at what passes for uh, the future uh, because this is set... In a dystopian future society. Oh, brilliant. Um, And there's a lot of uh, very 70s furnishings and clothes
0: throughout this film, Mm. which is a delight to watch. Excellent. Well, with all that being said, shall we watch A Clockwork Orange? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, for those of you listening at home, pop in those DVDs, load up those streaming services, and prepare to go singing in the rain as we watch A Clockwork Orange. Welcome back everybody. We have just finished watching A Clockwork Orange, and by we I of course mean Murray Jackson. Hello! And Dr. Ellen Sears. Hello. Doctor Ellen, that was your first time watching A Clockwork Orange. What did you think of it?
1: It's fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly. Um yeah. The the whole, like, vibe and aesthetic and the way that it was shot, there were some bits where I was like, oh, wow, this is, like, genuinely some very interesting things are being put together. I don't know that it's a film that you can necessarily enjoy, though. You know, I so- sometimes watch things, people are like, did you like it? You're like, mm, is this film supposed to be liked? Am I supposed to like the content of this and mm. what's yes. going on here?
0: Yeah, you are. Oh, okay. There we go. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, but- <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs> so, so if even if it wasn't a film that you feel like you could say you could enjoy, mm. um was it is it a good film?
1: I don't know. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going to have to ruminate on that as we kind of go through the thing. Because in terms of, like, technically and acting and all of that, yeah, I'd say it's a good film. I just don't, yeah. I don't know if I 100% vibed with it on all levels, but that's fine. That happens with film. Okay, it's well, very interesting.
0: Well, Murray has seen this film a few times, so he's, had, <laughs> he's had some uh, time to ruminate. <laughs> mm. When did you last watch this film, Murray? Ooh, uh... No, year two, maybe. Okay. Um, Yeah, I watch it often. And how was it revisiting on this occasion?
2: Um, Yeah, it was great, except for the fact that, uh, you know, uh, we had some technical difficulties from time to time, uh, which uh, bugged me. But uh, apart Mm. from that, um, no. um, Yeah, I always enjoy watching this film. Mm. Uh, I always find something different in it. And um, I'm just one of those people who, for some reason, really enjoyed his last year of English at school, um, and when we studied this novel, and just completely um, understood the themes, mm-hmm. loved the message that it was giving, um, mm-hmm. and just totally embrace it. And I think you know it's one of the rare instances where the source material, the novel, is brought to life, and if if anything,
0: even um, uh, blossoms on screen. Right, okay. Because um I I've, I've not read the original source material, but mm. um it, it is one of those films which has the has the reputation of being like a good adaptation or like an adaptation that got the spirit of what the book was probably about.
2: probably helps if you bring the the author of the original book in as one of um the uh the, the co-screenwriters. But, I mean, mm. that
1: depends. That didn't go very well for uh JK Rowling on the most recent fantastic beast films, they are awful.
0: Mm. Mm. But yeah, she. But you know, that's just her in general. She's a hack, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. Amongst other things, yes. Yeah, she's no Anthony Burgess. No. No. Um, so the film uh, story is uh, we follow Alex, troubled youth, uh, in a. They don't say the time. Period. Uh, I, I don't think Alex. Feels he's all that troubled. No, no, honest. no, he no. doesn't. But, but we do. <laughs> I think that's the important thing. Yeah. Uh, and he's just got a, a
1: couple of boys ladding around, beating yeah. the shit out of people, mm. raping yeah. ladies. Like, yeah. it's know, just it's... a fun Saturday afternoon. He like... is
0: a he is a speck in the uh, sort of future mm. dystopian sort of thing that we we come to see in a lot of subsequent things. It feels oh, very, yeah. although uh, it was actually written at
2: a time when youth violence was on the rise. Mm. So, um, kind of makes sense. Yeah. It, it, it yes it is it, it, it is set in a near future or supposed to be set in a near future but at the same time um was also i suppose present in, in some regards of, of mm. the times that burgess wrote the novel in
1: well, I mean, the whole thing about dystopias is that it's meant to be sort of like magnifying something about our own world and then transplanting it into like a, a futuristic sort of thing. Mm. Usually, with usually dystopias and utopias are set in a futuristic something, something. Mm. Um, and a lot of times with them, so in this case, it was that like the, 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 the sex and the violence and those kinds of things was what they were specifically focusing on. But, you know, that's that's been done in lots of different ways in lots of dystopian medias thinking about um, things like contemporary examples like The Handmaid's Tale, which obviously is a television program at the moment, which is specifically about um, infertility and how, okay, what happens if all these women are suddenly infertile? How is that mm. going to change the world? So same but also same, same sort of thing.
2: Also a commentary on choice as well. As absolutely. Is, yeah. Mm.
1: yeah, absolutely. And that idea of, okay, prison reform might be a good idea, but how is the best way to maybe go about that that isn't actually going to like just fuck people up even more?
0: Hmm. Yeah. And I'm
1: presuming this is an R rated film. Is it an R rated film? It, it still? is an R rated oh, film. Excellent. Yeah. So we can swear as much as we want on this one. Woohoo!
0: Yes, you can. Uh, should you wish. Uh, but if yeah,
2: I, I think it's. Try and, try and do it in NASDAQ. That would be uh, more interesting.
0: <laughs> I did find the use of NASDAQ a little bit um, alienating. And I feel. Because it's really toned down from the book. Take my yeah. word for is it. Is that the use of language specifically? Yes. Yeah. 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 So, you know, words like Droog and, and all those other terms. Because I, it, it, I, I understand. I it's, think it's it, beautiful. It's a combination of english mm. russian and some other yeah. languages um and I, I i feel as though the the way it is used by the performers didn't alienate me it was just what the words themselves were mm. but i at no point was i lost in terms of what was the meaning of what they were saying oh you can get a pretty
1: good gist of what yeah. they were talking about even if you're like oh what the f- alex I
0: don't and his drugs. and i think if you watch it again
2: super. you know if you do choose to repeat the film you'll find that you, you, you wade through it really easily And it actually becomes a little sort of musical On the air mm. um, It's
1: kind of like reading Shakespeare And I can't believe I've just made that comparison But you get to the point where if you read it enough Or if you act it enough You just start reading it like it's just regular English It was the same sort of thing here You get used to the language as you go through and it sort of gets to the point where you're like, Oh yeah, like I've I've got the gist of this, even mm. if I don't know exactly what every single thing is.
0: Well, one of the reasons that um Malcolm McDowell was picked to play Alex was mm. because of his comfort in performing Shakespeare. Interesting. And that that sort of language which is has a basis in English but isn't the way that we understand it contemporarily. Yeah. But he made it sound very naturalistic. And I think this is a good point to jump on Holy shit, Malcolm McGill is amazing in this. Mm. How good is he? And I, I should say, if any of you out there feel inclined,
2: do seek out a film called If, that he did a couple of years earlier with an, a director called Lindsay Anderson, um, because you will see a lot of um, Alex in the character that he plays in that, in that film as well. And I have a, a, a gut feel that that's one of the things that...
0: Um, kubrick saw and went oh yeah this guy Mm. Mm. he 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 carries this film he absolutely has to as well like getting that bit of casting was so integral because he is Mm. in almost every scene in this film Mm. and he although
1: 14 year olds in the beginning i did not i did not buy him as a 14 year old but i think it also would have been deeply deeply mm. uncomfortable it was changed from
0: the book Uh, so but they do
1: mention in this that he's 14
0: Yes, so originally in the book, he is 14, 15 at the start, and Mm. he's 16, 17 at the end. Mm. In this version, uh, or at least in the film script, officially, he is a 17-year-old at the start of the film and a 19-year-old at the end of the film. Although Malcolm McDowell was 27 27. when he played the part. So they were adults. Long history of having adults
1: play children. But in this
0: case... Probably you needed a, a strong choice. actor. I mean, yeah. you really did a need strong. a strong actor. Not only for the strong actor, but also for the fact that mm. you have got some pretty horrific things being depicted. Oh, and yeah, I feel as though it would be inappropriate to have a performer, even in their say early twenties, even if they're mm. at a consenting age, mm. to be performing in in this manner. Mm. Um, and I yeah. So well, even the quiet one in his gang, Pete. He he, he was twenty at the yeah. time that they filmed this. So yeah, mm. it, it takes. I think it does take quite a a special performer to make Alex as engaging as I felt he was throughout the film Uh, in terms of, I did not like him. I thought he was a pretty horrible person, but at no point was I uninterested in his story. Mm. Um, And I think, again, that comes down to the writing as well. And also the fact that this is very much his story. He is narrating his own story. Um, And I think the narration is used quite effectively as well. Um, but
2: there's almost that sense of a cheer for him at the end that he's cured. Mm. Like, I, I don't know, maybe mm. that's just me. Well, I, uh, I it probably it, is just me. But there, there is that like, oh, yes, you know, you, 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 you've you, been through this horrible experience, but you've come out <gasps> and you
0: are now the, the person or back to the person you were always supposed to be. I wouldn't say it was a cheer for him being like, hooray, he's a murdering a rapist murdering, again. No, but, uh, yeah. It was more for me, I was... I suppose it comes down to where you fall on the the freedom of choice and the right mm. to choose, because where he went through the treatment and the effects of the treatment were, you know, for me, tremendously uncomfortable because it is you know the whole thing of your um, your your right to choose being taken away from you um, as an individual. But in this film, the example is extremely clear-cut that the effects that it is having on him as an individual are almost entirely negative. Mm. Um, because I do feel as though there is a potential for allegory for certain current-day health issues and about choice uh, regarding uh, <laughs> vaccines and things like that. And I do feel as though uh, what this film does, is it takes that argument and presents it in a very negative light. Because I feel as though the, the point of this text is that nothing is good one way or the other the freedom of choice or the lack of choice don't present positives really
2: well i i, I think it is you know the 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 theme is that if you if you remove choice mm. then the person ceases to be the person mm. Mm. and is it not more moral um or is it um you know um better that someone be the person they are, even if they're a horrible
0: person, Then mm. trying to change them into something they're not. I think that is ultimately where the, the whole argument comes down to, because I would not want to be around a person like Alex. I would not want them around in my community or anything like that, because they are dangerous. Mm. But at mm. the same time, do I want them to feel sick every time they hear Beethoven's Ninth that feels wrong too. Like, like, yeah, it's mm. it presents a lot of really interesting mm. questions. And well, it, yeah, it raises a lot about punitive measures, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, mm. um, I do think the way that prison is depicted in this film is quite interesting because prison is shown as being harsh, but not as inhumane as in something like the Shawshank Redemption or other. Films with
1: prisons in them, the, the, yeah. There
0: is an inhumanity to it, you know. He, he's stri- oh yeah,
1: they're all walking in circles around him. He's
0: stripped of his name. He's given a number. Hmm. You'll call me, sir. You know, he gets shouted at by. He's, um, yeah,
1: he's physically stripped down and
0: once again, it, it's probably
2: um, or possibly hyperbole too, but um, it, it's it might be indicative of the time uh, that that this was filmed. That you know there was, uh, you know, perhaps that. Um, sense of it's still been a, a very much a sort of a victorian sort of um, mm. set up you know they, these these are very old prisons and and mm. um pretty grimy places to be but um, Remen- remnants of the empire almost i i i i think you can probably see how out of step it would be in terms of today's prisons with the scene where they are all forced to go to church mm. and all having to sing the hymn. Mm. Um, Which
0: felt very much like the English schooling experience, yeah. to be honest. It wasn't uh, too dissimilar from, from certain experiences that, I had. That,
2: that's, so, yeah, it's probably a, a little bit of um, uh, licence mm.
0: played with the idea of what prisons really were like. Mm. Uh, I do feel as though this is a really great point to jump in and go. Um, how fantastic was Michael Bates? As mm. Chief Guard Barnes, oh my god, shouty moustache man, just, uh,
1: just don't talk, scam!
0: Like that whole mm. thing. He was just, <laughs> he was super. He was my favourite character in this whole thing. He was very funny. Yeah, just, uh, but like a wonderful sort of encapsulation of. I think there were quite a lot of people in, certainly in. British television and film at that time like people in positions of power but not the ultimate position of power Mm. who were very much like I've been given a small stick so I'm going to hit you with it because I've got the stick like that's I can yeah but ultimately they were never the
1: only power that I have yeah they poke
0: you with the stick they have power with a lowercase p they don't have the ultimate executive power that the warden has or the minister has and seeing them out of place, like when he's at the presentation Mm. showing Michael's reform and he's just gobsmacked the whole time.
2: But this Mm. is indicative of the the film being a a satire, is that uh, most of the performances here are heightened in some way. They're not naturalistic performances. If you have a think about his role as the the prison warder, if you have a look at um, the the chap who... um, uh, whose wife he raped. Um, Are you
0: telling me Patrick McGee, Patrick as McGee. Mr. Alexander in the yes. wheelchair, was not naturalistic? <laughs> not naturalistic in the slightest. Um, Food? Mis- yes. All right. Yes. More wine. <laughs>
2: um, Mr. Deltoid, the youth worker. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you've got this, even even his parents... Um, you know, very mannered performances. Mm. So you've, his dad just sitting there very the still, twisting mm. his hands
1: together. I was like, oh, there's that British repression.
2: Mm. Yes. Love it. <laughs> so, yeah, and that's all to bring out the satire. So I think it's, yeah. it's necessary
0: mm. and, and a lot of fun. Um, the depictions of violence and rape are one of the things that this film is most well-known for and indeed part of the reason why it has got such mm. an interesting history. And in Adrian
2: Corrie's rape is still particularly unpleasant view.
0: Yeah and I I think it's quite interesting that for characters or for like a a main character who begins and ends the film with positive attitudes towards uh, violence and rape the rapes and violence were never depicted as glorious acts with the, from my perspective at least with Mm. the exception of the The Warriors style gang fight That they have at the start of the film When they stop a rape When Alex and his friends Interrupt the other gang in camo And they have that fight To the Rossini music And that's shown as being Like quite fun Almost Yeah But all the other I feel like the fact That they were gonna Mm. I don't know I think if
2: you're Cutting the clothes Off a woman Who is Struggling Violently Against your attempts Whilst you're singing Singing in the rain Mm. Um That that has a, a you know, certain amount of
0: um attitude to it it does but I, I as a viewer i didn't sit there going like oh this is fun or this is funny that like even the very obvious juxtaposition of singing like a happy show mm. tune like singing in the rain whilst well, i mean
1: as well that's doing that yeah and i mean that yeah. idea of um juxtaposing a really awful scene with a mm. really upbeat jazzy song is something that we've seen in film since Mm. a lot. Yeah. And it can be used in a really effective way because it kind of highlights that horror even more of like, Oh Jesus, this
0: is, well, it it highlights the banality of the thing. Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah. For them. Yeah.
0: And that's the thing is I don't feel as though at any, I don't feel that at many points in this film that what Alex is doing is being said. Oh, this is the way to behave. This is correct. This is right, because ultimately mm. the second half of the film is just here are the consequences of your actions. Yeah. Where he gets beat up by the tramps. You know, he gets. Oh, his past comes back to yeah. revisit him. The, the yeah. only thing that doesn't happen to him is is he he doesn't get raped. Like mm. th- that is that is pretty much the only or, crime. Or or squashed by a giant dick. True. Although David mm. Prouse may have <laughs> squashed him a bit <laughs> when he was carrying him around. Mm. David Prouse is huge. Mm. I know this is like, big man is big. He's not exactly a headline. But in this, he just looks like a man mountain. Mm. It's incredible. Um, but, but yeah, I, I feel as though this film does a really interesting job, and I, I think quite a good job, of balancing mm. what happened at the beginning and, and and having all of that come back to bite yeah, Alex it kind again. of comes
1: back narrative full circle because it's like, oh, you know, this thing that happened, we're going to revisit that. This mm. thing that happened, we're going to revisit that.
0: But then I think the really interesting thing is is that ultimately he doesn't learn because the the system he is in does what the problem was established in the film. The whole point of doing the treatment was to try and change the fact that prison doesn't reform. It yeah. just adapts you to do the crimes better or, or whatever their criticisms were. And then the government do exactly that. They sort of... they. They enable Alex, and he's cured, and ultimately nothing is fixed, which is why I think it's a really fantastic dystopian film because there is no way out. Well, it's the the thing is, what's going to happen
2: to Alex next? Yeah. Well, um, my view is he's going to be the poster boy from yeah. here on in, and yeah. he'll be indulged, and and he'll get away, with uh, and he'll get away with it, um, because he's covering up the mistakes. Uh, yeah, so. Correct yeah it's interesting isn't it it's like there's no there is no um redemption here for the mm. character the character's gone on this arc we've seen the redemption or we thought that we there was redemption and then it's like oh no and then it brings
0: us back to Mm. where we were at the start and i feel as though and it's really interesting how alex has no sympathy from anyone when he comes back out and i Mm. think the treatment is flawed Because, or at least the the film tries to depict this treatment as flawed, because people then. He gets thrown back into a situation where he is continually antagonized to the point of being sick Mm. by the society which is rejecting him, because even though he has gone through this treatment, they are still treating him as a criminal, as a murderer, as a rapist. And that. Mm, But the point of the treatment
2: wasn't to. To
0: to make people. to, To make. Yeah. You know, great citizens, it was to get people out of jail. Mm. Yeah. And I think that was a really interesting thing that the film examined about, yeah, you, you are going to have these issues, regardless of whether or not you've gone through this treatment or some reform, or you've just sat in your jail cell for your full sentence not atoning, is you will always have this level of treatment, is that people mm. want their revenge. And ultimately, so many characters get their revenge on Alex, or some level of revenge. Even... Mr Alexander, who is shown as being this like, oh, help him, help him, when he doesn't recognise mm. that it's the person that raped him, he believes killed his wife. When, As soon as he realises that, he goes completely psycho, gets the biggest speakers he can and tries to blast him to death with Beethoven's knife.
2: But isn't mm. it terrible? Now Mr Alexander's been put away by the government. You know, he's been shut away mm. as, a, as an enemy of the state. Uh, you, you go, the guy's really didn't cut a break, did he? I mean, you've got every sympathy for him wanting to take... Revenge but on But he's, he's
1: doing political writing and, you know, telling people the wrong things mm. about us and we're not going to get voted back again and we want to stay in power. So mm. we'll just make that little problem go away.
0: Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Mm. As, as someone who hadn't seen this film before, I can really see why people were very um, drawn to it. Because mm. it, I feel like one of the drawing factors is, come and see this thing, which is hyper-violent and sexual and all these things. And it's like, come for this, stay for the um, philosophical and political intrigue. Mm. And it's very well paced. I, I think there, there isn't really much you could cut down from this film.
2: No, and I, that's why I think it still works. I, I I put my hand up and say, yeah, obviously it looks, in terms of the production design and so on, very dated. But, um, in it's terms quite theatrical,
1: especially like that establishing shot at the very beginning, where they're in the milk bar and it just pulls back and back and back, and there's that mm. very long dolly shot. Now, was, as soon as that like started pulling back, I was like, okay, the Kubrick stare—I know what that is. Fabulous. And then it just kept pulling back and back and back and back, and I was like, yep, you're very much introducing all the things now. Great. And then by the end of it, I was like, yep, that's very yep. Yeah. So that, that pretty that much establishes most of what you need to know about the world.
2: Shot shocks you, but then you get pulled into the greater world like you know, his parents house and you're immediately taken I, th- I think you know as, as the viewer today out of the film for a moment just staring you know open mouthed at the horrendous taste that you see on on display mm-hmm. um, I love how so yeah, the production design has is. has very very much dated but mm. in terms of as you said pace of the film, the themes of the film, the acting, it is still mm. I think a, a bloody good film. Mm.
1: And I think even though like the apartment decor is very, very dated, but I love how cramped it is. Mm. I love how like sort of squashed in it all is. Like oh, nothing yeah, quite. Because they all in.
2: they live in tower blocks, which of course yeah. were becoming the, the big the jour social cancer in yeah, you know, particularly in Britain yeah. at that time. Yeah, and the brutalist
1: um, architecture coming through all the way through, because your mid-century modern stuff was all very, like, open and light and airy and raked ceilings, and then you've just got these square concrete blocks, and I was like, oh, that's all right, I hate this type of architecture. It's just, just horrible. To look at. It's just
0: awful. Murray? Yes? I understand that uh, something you wanted to touch on from this film was the score.
2: Yes, yes, please. Thank you, Stephen. Um, the score was done by Wendy Carlos... Uh, Wendy at the time was going under the name of Walter Carlos. Um, Wendy is a, a pretty much a pioneer for the, all the transgender people out there, um, well ahead of her time. Um, not only as a a, 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 a social pioneer, but uh, also in terms of her, her musical um, ability. Uh, the score in this is just something to behold. It's it's brilliant. Um, she, she was one of the pioneers of uh, electronic synthesizer music. She was um, a developer of the Moog synthesizer. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that really captivated me about this film, before I'd even seen the film, as I said to you before, was the soundtrack. I used to play it endlessly all the time. And her way of taking something like, you know, the, 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 the funeral march, um, at the at the funeral of Queen Mary um, and, and turning it into the the, the main theme of, of this um, film uh, in, in a way that you know, the, the music's instantly recognizable to those who've, who've ever watched the film mm. uh, or had any um, uh, feeling or, or, or exposure to it. Um, yeah I, I just think really this is one of the great, Soundtracks, Even though, yeah, a lot of the music, yep, it's just classical music. Um, mm. But if you also look at the way that um, Kubrick
0: choreographs that music to the violence mm. in the film. It's, it's so well. I mean, as soon as the Rossini started playing... Yeah I, I even said leaving magpies, is oh. such a great I was like, Oh well this, this can only be a positive scene because this music is so light and oh no they're trying to assault that woman, oh there's a gang fight.
1: And I mean look, it's been yeah, it's been used mm. a few times since. It was including in Sherlock and various yeah. other bits and pieces.
0: It was it was really well done and like tying in the Beethoven, even to the point where the doorbell of the Alexander's place are the first four notes of, of the Ninth Symphony. Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I only called it the last time we heard the doorbell, but yeah, it's it's Beethoven. And I think the way that that's been integrated in the whole film is is really clever, and just like you know that Minister Saul, he liked Beethoven in, mm. his, in his and just went cell. And oh, like
1: Oh, oh, you mean in this horrible video? There's a Beethoven symphony. It's your favourite one. Yeah, <gasps> who put that in there?
0: Mm.
2: But no. yeah, look, I, I just as I say, I wanted to touch on on Wendy Carlos. Wendy Carlos has influenced. Uh, so many people who do the soundtracks of the movies that you watch today. i uh, give you a recent example, Trent Reznor and Atticus mm. Rose and the music from um, the social, uh, what's it called? The so, um, what about Facebook? Social Network. Thank you, Social Network. The Social Network. Uh, watch the extras on that and you get a, a, a semblance there of how indebted these guys were to the work that Wendy Carlos pioneered 30, 40 years prior to that film coming into play. Um, yeah, I, I, I just stand in awe of it. I think it's, it's it's one of the most brilliant soundtracks.
0: Would you guys like some trivia about A Clockwork Orange? Yeah. Go on and surprise me. Okay, all of this trivia was sourced from IMDb, so if it's not true, don't blame me. The first bit of trivia... The doctor standing over Alex as he is being forced to watch violent films was a real doctor to ensure that Malcolm McDowell's eyes didn't dry up. I must admit, I found that very hard to watch. I don't like eyes being messed with in films. I uh, oh, wear wow, and- contact
1: lenses, so for me, I was just like, it's <laughs> not fun, but you know.
0: Yeah, I was like, Bleh. <laughs> I was like I
2: was Just like,
0: his eyes are getting real dry. Please keep
2: doing what you're doing. <laughs> at least he had, like... Don't watch any Lucio Filci films, okay. then, okay? I'm at, least he had the at
1: least he had eye drops on tap, unlike, you know, a couple of months back we watched the Doctor Who film with yeah. Paul McGann. And then he had a similar sort of thing with the little eye things open. I was just like... <sighs> yeah.
2: well, there's so sucked. many things in this film that have, has sort of become a trope. Um, elsewhere. Oh
1: yeah, the, the false eyelashes and the, yeah. the, the that, that very iconic imagery of that, and then yeah, the you know yeah, when you reference in out. the
0: Simpsons, you've made it
1: pretty much. Yeah, oh. uh,
0: the snake Basil was Basil. introduced to the film by Stanley Kubrick when he found out that Malcolm McDowell had a fear of reptiles. The stated purpose was to make McDowell's character seem more intimidating, but secondarily, it functioned as a practical joke by Kubrick.
1: Wow. That's cool. Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah. I will admit, a lot of the trivia from Is just IMDb Stanley Kubrick being a dickhead? Is, is Stanley Kubrick being a dick to people. So, <sighs> I haven't included all of them, but some of them are in here, uh, just because I think it. I think it is kind of important to, to discuss Kubrick himself as well. He's, he's come up when we've done some of the other films before... Mm and about his um his methodology with working with I'm trying to performers. think how,
2: how many every scene I was looking at I was thinking how many times did they filmed that
0: mm. well I, I mean apparently in this film they did do a fair few takes but it was no way near the sort of legendary the shining 127 takes level um partly because he'd just come from doing space odyssey and then his failed napoleon film uh, which which never got off the ground and so he wanted to shoot something that was simpler so a lot of the lighting that was used a lot of the effects were stuff that film students at the time were using like they they used a lot of natural light they really pulled back on the technical things and i think as a consequence because he had less control There were less takes. There was still an incredible amount of control and there were still days where they would do multiple takes of the same thing. Mm. But this film has a reputation of having less of an issue with that than uh, films that would come later on when he had more resources again. And he did have some very good actors in this film. He absolutely Mm. did. Um, The Korova milk bar was named after the Russian word for cow. Uh, Moloko, written on the wall, means milk. The bar's sculptures were based on the works of the sculptor Alan Jones. Stanley Kubrick had the milk dispensers emptied, washed, and refilled every hour as the milk curdled on the studio lights. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Can you imagine just statues filled with curdled milk? I, I
0: must admit. Well,
2: the only time the dispenser was ever used was by Dim. Mm. Hello, Lucy.
0: Yeah, I, I must admit kind of did want a glass of milk part way through the film. I don't know what that says. I like a glass of milk every now and then. And uh, I don't... Do, you, do you like it from a ceramic nipple or I've never had it no. from a ceramic nipple. No. So, I can't say whether I'm very or not glad to hear that. Let's... I would like it. It's not to say he won't tell him, but mm. just, you know, I, I haven't yet. Not yet. Alex performing Singing in the Rain as he attacks the writer and his wife was not scripted. Kubrick spent four days experimenting with this scene. This is one of them multiple takes deals. uh, Finding it too conventional. Eventually, he approached McDowell and asked him if he could dance. They tried the scene again, this time with McDowell dancing and singing the only song he could remember at the time. Kubrick was so amused that he bought the rights for Singing in the Rain for $10,000. Which is why they used it in the credits at the end. Makes sense. When Malcolm McDowell met Gene Kelly at a party several <laughs> years later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awkward moment. Yes. Um, how do you imagine Gene Kelly taking this, Ellen?
1: Uh, mm, old Hollywood? Mm, he was probably fucking horrified. Other than he was just like, wow, I never really thought of doing... Yeah, there's
2: so many ways that he could have done the, the, the actual scene in the rain scene, mm-hmm. as he found out. Yeah, he
0: could have just murdered the policeman mm. he walks past.
1: With his umbrella, yeah, just yeah. stabbed him right just in Just give eye.
0: him a couple of swift kicks. Yes, uh, funnily enough, uh, Gene Kelly wasn't a fan of this. Um, when McDowell met Kelly at the party, uh, Gene Kelly turned and walked away in disgust. You
1: know what? <laughs> Yeah, I can understand that.
0: Mm. That's
1: um yeah, old school Hollywood musical man and he would have been like, But this is like a happy musical and it makes people happy and does things and you've just sullied this song forever for mm. everybody. I could see him being pissed off about that. Yeah,
0: he was pretty upset. So Understandable. And fair enough. Um Stanley Kubrick had his assistant destroy all of the unused footage for this film. So that, Interesting there will, So no director's cut. There will be no direct well, I mean this was I guess the director's mm, cut. Yeah. Is- um but You know, there won't be a... Blooper reel. I can't imagine a Stanley Kubrick blooper reel would be much fun, to be honest. (laughs) It would just be someone getting him wrong and him going, Fuck! (laughs) Off camera.
2: Again. Again.
0: Uh, According to Malcolm McDowell on the commentary track for the 2007 DVD release, the sped-up sex scene uh, was originally filmed as an unbroken take lasting 28 minutes. Uh, So this is when he was with the two ladies in his bed. Some impressive prowess. Yes, uh, apparently uh, it was meant to be shorter, but the actors involved were... Um, Enjoying themselves. ...getting carried ca- carried mm. away. Kubrick was apparently shouting off camera, you can wrap it up now, S- stop it, Malcolm, like <laughs> that kind so, But no, uh, apparently, that, yeah, they, they thought, let's just keep going. Um, so, yeah, that was 28 minutes.
2: I do like the fact that at one point, both of them are getting dressed,
0: and the next thing you know, it's the kit comes off again, mm. and they're back into mm. it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Stanley Kubrick was very impressed by Jorg Pelver uh, the voice actor who dubbed Alex in the German language version he sent a letter to Pelver expressing his fascination uh, with Pelver's voice and admitted that it suited the character even more than Malcolm McDowell's voice <laughs> Pelver was then personally selected by Kubrick to provide the German voice for Ryan O'Neill and Barry Lyndon and Jack Nicholson in The Shining oh, there so, we go yeah Though. he loved he loved Jorg Pelver apparently I've never heard the German uh, dub of this well apparently it's it's as close to what Kubrick wanted Fantastic just wrong language uh, contrary to popular claims this movie was never officially banned in the UK no. Mm-hmm. Um, It was originally given an X rating in 1971 and was withdrawn from distribution in 1973 by Kubrick himself. One of Kubrick's reasons for withdrawing the movie in the UK was that according to his wife Christine, he and the family had received death threats because of the film. In the 1980s and 90s, British fans who wanted to see this movie would have to order it from video stores in other countries, usually France. In 1993, London's popular Scala Film Club showed this movie without permission. At Kubrick's insistence, Warner Brothers sued and won, causing Scala to close in near bankruptcy. In 2000, the year after Kubrick's death, the film was released again throughout Great Britain and given an 18 rating. Mm. Mm. And I think it's so that might explain
2: the possible source of my. Um, dodgy VHS,
0: mm. possibly from France. Possibly from France. Mm. Yeah. I think it is really interesting that Kubrick, not just because of the death threats, there were also uh, instances of copycat crimes. Um, there was a there was a sexual assault where the perpetrators cited this film as something that inspired them. There was also, uh, I think, a young man was beaten up, and the people that beat him up were like. Saying they wanted to be in a gang like the Droogs were at the start of this So it's film.
1: essentially like young guys watching Fight Club and being like, oh, this is the
0: best film, and I'm like, mmm. But like an early example mm, of it. Like, yeah. It, it like, would have been one of the first examples of films. It's like, fighting. I don't think
1: you've quite gotten the gist of what this film is actually about. I think you've just been like, oh, these guys are like being violent. Yeah. I want to do that. Yay. Yes. The uh, film I'm doesn't sure, explicitly sure tell if me not to. the film hadn't
0: existed, they all would have been little angels. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. I, I I agree with the sentiments both of you have given out, but I think it's really interesting that Kubrick withdrew the film and that mm. he went now now this people he couldn't withdraw it in America, he didn't have that pool, but he yeah. could get it withdrawn in in Britain and did. No, and this is
1: bullshit, sorry, no. Yeah You he, don't get to, you don't get to have the thing. Yeah and he didn't you really can't if you can't play with your toys nicely then and you yet can't for have for years
2: them. after he made us watch Barry Lyndon.
0: Yeah, well, there is that, but I mean, he didn't really even like talking about this film uh, after, afterwards. After I think partly because of that and because of, yeah, I think Kubrick death was pretty
2: famous though for leaving films
0: behind after he'd made them. Yeah. He's like, I've done that. Put goodbye. them out there, and yeah, that's yeah. it. That's her. Filming the rape scene was very difficult, and the original actress cast in the role quit because she couldn't do it. The part was recast with. Adrian Carey, who was said to have been furious at the large number of takes that Kubrick required uh, because this was part of the four-day reshoot, yeah. um, feeling it ought to have been done swiftly, uh, which is fair enough.
2: Which is probably exactly what they would do today. Yeah. Um, and, you know, look, let's face it, there wouldn't have been any counselling, there wouldn't have been anything no. in, in mm. terms of that on set. Um, I can imagine it would have been very upsetting for her.
0: And I think it's an interesting question for performers to to think about and consider when it comes to performing work which has um even sex scenes in general but yeah. but specifically sex scenes which are non-consensual in terms of the text yeah. um I, like i've i've not been asked to perform sex scenes at all in anything uh so much to my relief so i've not had to think about this but mm. but the the idea of actors being not just actors but also the crew around them as well and everyone involved being in a safe enough environment to mm. enact this I think is something that is being addressed more and more with the rising prominence of intimacy coaches in performing arts and things like that. Yeah.
1: I think that's a really big thing and that's coming in a lot at the moment also, not even just in professional spaces, but also in sort of like more community led spaces and things like that mm. as well, which is really important. And you know, like I've, I, you, you and I were in a production of Titus Andronicus a couple of years ago, Stephen, mm. um, on stage. And I played Lavinia who is raped and mutilated, has her hands cut off. And I remember explaining to one of the, um, the actors who played one of the, the rapists, um, because he basically says the line, well, we're going to, we've killed your husband. We're going to drag you off and like rape you on his dead body, essentially. So it's, it's horrific. Um, and I feel, but the, the thing with that was that the people who I was working with, the two boys who were, um, Lavinia's rapists are really lovely, really lovely young men. And every time we came off stage and they'd been, like, climbing all over me and, like, grabbing me and stuff. And they were, they were very respectful. and It was all very well blocked and I, was, I felt very safe. And then we'd come off stage and they'd be like, are you okay? Like, are you all good? And I'd be like, no, like, stop being nice to me. I have to go back on in a second and be traumatized. Like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. it was that kind of a thing. But it was mm. it was nice to be so well looked after by mm. them. Because in other circumstances, it could have been really horrible. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who wouldn't be comfortable with performing those kind of scenes because they have their own baggage attached to that kind of violence. The, mm. and you,
2: you have to remember too, this this is, as I say, it's the early 70s. Yeah. There's, um, there's no, um, basically you're an actor, you're a hired person to come along and do a job. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so there really isn't that um, sense of needing you to feel safe or anything no, along no. those lines. And that's... Yeah, it was the same year, I think, they did um, that last Tango in Paris' was filmed, and mm. if you read the... Um, uh, I forget her name, um, Ms. Schneider, mm. if you read her account of what happened in that film and on set in that film, you realise how different things were mm. back then mm. as opposed to today and it's really only in recent times that you know you talk about intimacy coaches that probably wasn't a term that yeah. was even around 10 years ago mm. so yeah I, I can yeah four days yeah i can't imagine it wouldn't have been fun to turn up to work
0: yeah mm. and i also can't imagine any actor in the 1970s being able to tell a director yeah. how to shoot their film. Yeah, and a male, oh, direct- not, not and a male director. Not Stanley Kubrick. As well. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, no,
1: the idea of telling a male director, yeah, no, this is not how it's going to fly. Like, no, one of the first actresses quit. Yeah. I can
0: understand that. This movie is one of only two movies to be rated X on its original release and then be nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. <laughs> Could you name wow. the other one, Murray?
2: Hmm. Rated X? Mm-hmm.
0: Jeez. Um... I can give you a clue Go on It came out before this film Yeah, I I was going to
2: go along with that Um, I don't know
0: No Okay, it was 1969's Midnight Cowboy Ah, yeah, Mm. okay So, yes Yeah, we didn't like the gay overtones No Are you homosexual? (laughs) Looking directly at his (laughs) knob as he asked the question Ah, uh, just, again, that film needed comic relief round about there, and I'm so glad we got it. Anthony Burgess originally sold the movie rights for this film uh, for $500 because he needed quick cash. He sold it to Mick Jagger. Jagger intended to make it with the Rolling Stones as the Droogs, but then resold the rights for a much larger amount. Ken Russell was then nominated to direct because of his style. Which that would have been a different film. It would have been very different. Um, Originally, for Ken Russell's version, Oliver Reed would have played Alex
2: Yeah, not
0: great as a choice Um, Jesus
2: He was well older than McDowell Yeah Um, And yeah, if you need any proof of that, watch The Devils That was made, I
0: think, the same year, 71 Mm -hmm. Other actors who turned down the role were Tim Curry and Jeremy Irons for playing Mm -hmm. Alex Tim Curry might have been interesting. Mm. Mm. I feel like he sort of got his version of this with Rocky Horror, his sort of cult hit uh, yeah. film thing.
1: There were elements of this that were a little bit Rocky Horror.
0: Again, David Prowse. Yeah. <laughs> just wandering around with all his muscles out. <laughs> um, Stanley Kubrick once said, If Malcolm McDowell hadn't been available, I probably wouldn't have made this film. Uh, Anthony Burgess initially distrusted Kubrick as a director, but was happy with the final results. He felt the film later made the book, one of his least favourite books he had written, overshadow his other work.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm, That's true.
0: Mm, Absolutely. Uh, When Alex is being drowned, there is a barely perceptible micro-cut in which Malcolm McDowell was able to use the oxygen mask that was hidden in the water. Uh, the bath was muddied using bothrel, a beef extract. <laughs> ah! So he was basically just in like very, very thin gravy.
1: Jesus. It did
0: go on, yeah, a long time. Yeah. Well, wherever
1: and that microcut was, it was very. I snaky. couldn't
0: see it. I was looking, and I couldn't find it. Interesting. This was also the first science fiction film to be nominated by the Oscars for Best Picture. Interesting. And it's interesting because it, it is a science fiction film. Yeah but it's not often talked about in the science fiction film canon. I mean,
1: Mm. yeah, it's sort of... There's a a fine line between science fiction and dystopia, isn't it? And Mm. they don't always go hand-in-hand with each other. Yeah. But people often think they do.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, Mm. dystopia's come from science fiction. Correct. Mm. But the science
2: fiction fiction aspect's probably also in the treatment.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it is interesting. And I, I was surprised that this was the first film that was considered science fiction that was nominated but I suppose it makes sense makes that, sense yeah your 50s you had all of the B movies and it was really only with stuff like Forbidden Planet that was sort of breaking into the mainstream mm. but yeah I mean daily, the day that the earth stood still might have had a chance possibly the title was translated into Serbo-Croatian as the orange from hell or <laughs> Paklena Narak oh no I'll try that again for our Croatians paklena naranka or paklena uh, pomoradza in serbian i apologize i'm, I'm not from the eastern uh, europe area um, this comes from the term for clockwork bombs uh, or machines from hell the italian title and the french title uh, were also uh, somewhat misleading uh, because they gave the impression that the clockwork orange was more like a hand grenade, whereas uh, what Anthony Burgess intended was that uh, this was a natural creature transformed into a machine. Fair enough. Yeah, so just some fun language ones there for you. Stanley Kubrick and the actors uh, hewed so closely to the book that sometimes they didn't use the formal screenplay on set but carried the novel around and would just use pages from the novel to create the scenes. Hmm. Which is maybe partly why it felt so close to the book for you. Yeah.
1: No it's screenplay. Fuck that. I mean, it
2: has been something like forty years, or or close to forty years since I read the book. And uh, just a you know, on on a on a, a, a unrelated trivia note, um, kids out there, uh, if you see anywhere a film for sale or rent called A Clockwork Blue, uh, it's not a sequel. It's not a
0: sequel. Okay. Is it? Even remotely inspired by...? Uh,
2: No. Okay. No. The the clue is probably in the word blue. Ah. Mm. Smurfs. Yes. (laughs) Yes. There is a lot of... Certainly a lot of action. A lot of happy people. Mm. Okay.
0: Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Uh, Malcolm McDowell claimed that Stanley Kubrick conducted screen tests of actresses for the nude scenes by having them read Shakespeare during the screen tests while the camera operator zoomed in for a close-up of their breasts. Kubrick then had prints made of the breast close-up so that he could flip through them in his office. However, McDowell claimed that the unintended consequence of this method was that Kubrick realised he could not identify the actresses he wanted. Ah.
1: Oh, that's what happens when you reduce women down to like their component parts. Mm.
0: Did you not think to do a headshot that went with the boobs? No, I think Stanley Kubrick may have been a little bit horny when making this film. Mm. Um and yeah, that's that is a problem. And I do think that uh, like the towards the end of the film where the nurse. Alex is waking up And the nurse and the doctor Who've been carrying on In a very carry on Oh come on sense. It was just a gag It was a gag But part of me was like Oh There's more uh, exposed breasts oh. here And I Whilst most of the rest of the film I was like Yes this is justified This is contextual This is it's fine Because contextual Or it's relevant Or it's Even his fantasizing of I don't know what I don't, don't know what were, were fucking you...
1: nurse doesn't wear a goddamn bra to work. Can you imagine <laughs> trying to run down the corridor and she was a quite well-endowed yes, lady. Back
2: in the that days of fa- burn the bra. That
1: shit fucking hurts though. Goddamn. Mm,
2: yeah. She was a particularly well-endowed young lady and yes. uh, I did at one stage picture the Benny Hill music.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah. But um you know there's, there's no problem with having a bunch of topless women in films but I'm I'm very unsure uh, to mm. put it politely, about that particular casting process. Although it is something that McDowell claims, we d- we don't know if that definitely mm. happened or not. But yeah. well,
1: we still look. We still haven't caught up in terms of dick shots. You know what I mean? Like there were a mm. lot of like full frontal dicks just wandering one of around. The
2: biggest dicks you've ever seen on screen in that film you just watched. <laughs> I know. Yeah, they murdered a woman with one of them.
0: Like it
1: was... I know. I'm aware. But yeah. that's kind of the whole thing. You know. I wouldn't I wouldn't be as like annoyed about it if it was like a more equal spread of like actual full frontal dude nudity as much as there is female nudity. But mm. the, the the it there never is. You there got, never is.
2: You got
0: half a shaft of Malcolm McDowell. Oh,
1: right? Bully for me. And
0: those lollipops were particularly phallic as well.
1: I know the lot yeah. I know that the lollipops were phallic, Stephen. I was very well aware of that. Mm. The minute that she came in, I was like, oh, I wonder what the direction was here. Just fillet this lollipop for me. I think Mm. it was a popsicle, actually. Because the other one, the other girl, the one with the droopy one, Mm. it was dripping.
0: That's true. On her
1: hand. So I think they were popsicles, Stephen.
0: Okay. Your your complaints have been noted. We'll try and find a movie with uh, equal shaft to boob ratio. I
1: don't know that there will be one.
0: Certainly not one that.
2: Mm. Nine songs? Oh,
0: yeah? Good to know. (laughs) Malcolm McDowell based aspects of his performance as Alex on the mannerisms and vocal tics of British comedian Eric Morecambe. Jesus. Yeah, I can go with that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Particularly during the dinner scene. The dinner scene. Yeah. Munchy-wunchy-lom ticks of toast. Yeah. I was just waiting for an ambulance to go past and him go, oh, we'll not sell ice cream going that fast. (laughs) (laughs) Little (laughs) Earn. Hello, Little (laughs) Earn. And finally, during an interview with The Guardian in 2019, Malcolm McDowell claimed that he negotiated a salary of $100,000 and 2.5% of the profits, but Kubrick told McDowell just to take the $100,000, as Warner Brothers would never agree to the percentage deal in addition. Much later, McDowell bumped into a Warner executive who said that the 2.5% must be keeping his bank manager happy. Apparently, Kubrick kept that percentage for himself. Ah! What a shithead! Yeah. Yeah excellent. Oh. so, yeah, Kubrick, maybe not the best human being. If but I'm a gonna, smart one, I'm gonna get rid of the maybe, but <laughs> not a smart the best one human being. a smart one. A a conniving one, maybe we can put way and mm. a pretty dab hand at putting together a pretty good film. Hmm. yeah, mm. yeah,
2: a really good film
0: yeah, uh, but uh we're not here to judge Kubrick because I feel like he get very low scores. We are here to judge Mm-hmm-hmm. um and score. A Clockwork Orange, and Ellen, you get to go first because it was your first time watching A Clockwork Orange. What would you give this film out of ten?
1: I'm going to give it six giant dick sculptures out of (laughs) (laughs) ten.
0: Yeah, okay, so six. So, like, yeah, good, not great.
1: Yeah, I don't know that I'd be rushing back to watch it again in a hell of a hurry, but I'd probably watch it again in some capacity.
2: Okay. Uh, Murray, what about you? Uh, Well, Stephen, you know, it's unabashedly this is one of my favourite films, um, and I can't give it any less than 10 bullshit uh, Blockos. thank you very much mm-hmm. um, I, I just I, I love this film I'm sorry uh, that's me it's always been on my top 10 list it will always be on my top 10 list I think it's um, brilliantly put together um, it's superbly acted and it's yeah it's a message film oh, who
0: can't love a message film come mm. on um, yeah, yeah I, I think it's a very compelling film um, and I I wasn't particularly looking forward to watching it because of things that I'd heard about it but also knowing that it was Kubrick and having seen The Shining and really thought that that was a fantastic film and having watched Space Odyssey all those years ago and really um, enjoyed that I, I was sort of umming and ahhing about like ah... Uh, partly just because of the knowledge of the troubling content I feel as though I have seen much worse in other films uh, yeah. for this programme Um it with faint praise and I, I think it's a really interesting film, I think it's got a lot going for it and I, I think a lot of that comes from the book and, and what the book was attempting to communicate mm. but it does feel as though this film has, has captured the spirit of that and done a really good job of discussing this really interesting and complex idea about choice and morality um and the prison system and, and the prison system indeed but it's probably not one that i'll watch again for a while it's not one that i'm gonna i don't want to sit down and rewatch it again immediately or indeed you know maybe in a month um i don't think i'll be going Oh, let's watch Clockwork Orange again.
2: Um, but it, no, it, and I yeah. wouldn't expect that either. Yeah. I, I don't think it is a film that most people are going to return to, and mm. I, I completely respect that. Yeah, um, it might it might be different for those of us that you know studied the book and did the book in Year Twelve mm. English and, mm. and embraced it, um, yeah. and, and that's probably my estimation. Or yeah, my, my estimation of this film is coloured by that. Yeah, and I totally, totally put my hands up and say that on also the back of the fact that I pretty much love everything Kubrick's done yes, I'm the guy who actually sat through Barry Lyndon and went, I don't see what everyone hated about this film (laughs) Um, so, you know, that's totally understandable
0: Yeah, I I think for me I'm going to give it seven and a half symphonies out of ten I think it's
1: not a ninth symphony?
0: No, no. I really, if, if I, I really kind of wanted oven, to give it nine. Beethoven ba- ba-
1: ha- seven, seven and a half.
0: Yeah, scissors? I'm surprised no one used nausea, burps
2: as their uh, as their rating. Yeah. yeah,
0: again, Malcolm McDowell could burp on command, hmm. and I think when I can too. You just have
1: to swallow air. Yeah.
0: May we easy. have a burp on command? <laughs> oh, very nice. <laughs> Hang on, sec, <so> I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> See, you
1: just swallow. Yeah, you just swallow a mouthful there. Oh, it's easy. That Malcolm McDowell's a hack. The problem is, is that if you swallow enough air, you can actually make yourself sick by doing that. Uh, I haven't gotten to the point of vomiting by doing that, but when I was a kid and trying to like, you know, you, you, like trying to burp alphabets and things oh, like yeah. that, yeah, started to feel a bit unwell. It was like perhaps I, I should think stop. Malcolm this
2: McDowell now. would have taken that over the scratched cornea. Yeah.
1: I scratched my cornea once with a mm. with a with a book. It fucking hurts. Yeah. yeah, I like stabbed myself in the corner of the eye with a book that was wrapped in, um, plastic. His his was with a metal
2: stay. I'm going. I'm going Malcolm on this one. Okay? Yeah, yeah. yeah still,
1: you it still hurt. <laughs> it still hurt.
0: Yeah, look. Uh, and with that discussion of <laughs> eye injuries, we bring a close to today's review. Um, Murray and Ellen, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Cinema Catch Up Club.
1: Thanks. For having yes, me. thank you,
0: Stephen. <laughs> And for those of you listening at home, thank you for listening in. We've only got a couple more episodes before the year concludes. So viddy well, viddy yes. well, my little droogs. Indeed. And if you want to be uh, uh, up to date on those episodes, why? You can subscribe. iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, all of those services. Find us there and you'll get a new episode each and every week. Uh, we've got plenty of droogs over on our Facebook page. Uh, just like the Cinema Catch-Up Club page there, you'll get uh, news and updates every uh, week. In fact, more than once a week. You'll get uh, poll updates, things of that nature. Uh, so just search for us there. And of course, there is our Patreon for our droogiest of droogs. Um, mm, who, those who don't want a tollchock to the Yarr uh, Blockos. Indeed. Uh, they uh, give us... Uh, I-, I noticed they were still using the, um, the pre-decimal system in the future, in this <laughs> film, actually, when they took that one tenpenny off him in the prison scene. Uh, but if you want to give us uh, your pounds, shillings, and pence, uh, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash CCUC podcast and you can get some bonus goodies there. But that's all for this week. So until next time, goodbye. Farewell. Bye bye.